Hello, everybody. We we are here now. We're back. We're, we are doing this. Um, goodbye, Mellow Brick Road. But we're on a new network now. We're, we're shedding our old ties. And we're, it's not season three yet because um, we're not ready for that yet. But we are doing for something very special. Um, we have something pretty cool coming later um, for, for the release of Avengers Endgame. But I won't say too much about that right now because concurrently with the end of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we also have the end of Game of Thrones. And so we're, we're talking, we're talking Thrones. Um, we're doing episode by episode with uh, our top five moments from the episode with, of course, my Game of Thrones correspondent, my dear friend, the, the amazing, the incredible, I love her so much, Jack Rayner. Jack, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Dave. That's a lovely introduction. I always feel like when I come on here, like I'm not prepared for all this praise. Well, because at, on, over on the Muggle cast, they didn't give you the praise that you deserved. <laughs> yes, they did. Don't say that. <laughs> they won't have me back. It's they. They don't. They don't listen. No one listens to this. Eck, of course, people listen to this. This is like the number one podcast on iTunes, isn't it? That's what I was told by um, former podcast bosses until I found out that it was maybe not necessarily true, and then I had to make my own network. Well, your new network will definitely be number one. Aren't you? Aren't you going to have a show on the network with Pete or something? <laughs> what? I thought we were doing our own shows. Oh no, I don't think I could do a show with Pete. <laughs> you know what would happen if I did a show with Pete is I would do the entire episode in my Pete impression. <sighs> And no one would know who was who because my Pete impression is fabulous. Can you give us a taste of the Pete impression right now? I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not really prepared for that right now. <laughs> I mean, I it sounds like Pete's right in the room with me. <laughs> I sure hope he's not going to listen to this. He's going to be so upset with me. <laughs> Jack, I've told you, no one listens to this podcast. <laughs> well, the people who are on your podcast, surely they listen. I think they just like. Like, I'll, like, be like, hey, everybody, this week I have, uh, like, Dustin on the podcast. Isn't that great? And then Dustin, like, likes the tweet and never responds to it at all. That's how it goes. Well, that's a bit rude. Dustin, if you're listening to this, like, come on, man. Jack, no one Get, listens to this. Yeah. <laughs> no one I, is- I bet you Kelsey is listening, because Kelsey always listens when I'm on. She only listens to your episodes. I know. So she'll be listening to this one. She listens to your episodes or the Disney ones? And I was like, did you listen to this one? And she was like, no. And I'm like, why not? Don't you want to hear me? And she's like, no. no. I, want to hear, I want to hear Jack or I want to hear about Disney. <laughs> That's right. I told you. I've told you a million times she loves me more than she loves you. You know, I really believe you. Well, we're talking. We're talking Thrones. How are you feeling in the wake of um, the premiere episode? Uh, only two days away from season, uh, episode two now. I know. Next week we'll be more on top of this, guys. We'll 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 have this together. Um, so I'm not quite as shook at the moment as I was a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know, I've watched the episode. I think probably like nine or ten times oh now. My God. So <laughs> I'm a bit. I don't know if it's just me that's hardcore or if it's this entire country. So basically what's been happening down under is the network that um, broadcasts Game of Thrones down here. For for the entire month of March, we had Game of Thrones Ultimate Rewatch going on 24-7, playing 
seasons one through to seven on repeat for 31 straight days. Um, and that is what I watched for 31 straight days. <laughs> um, and then leading up to the premiere, so I think it was about, you know, six o'clock on the Friday night, we started with season one, episode one, leading all the way through into the Monday morning, which is when it's broadcast here at 11 a.m. And so, again, we had another rewatch going through, and then at 11 a.m. they broadcast the pilot, uh, the, the um, premiere episode of season eight, and then they broadcast it at 12 o'clock and 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock <laughs> and 4 o'clock. <laughs> and then they stop when it gets to 5 because they figure that they don't want, like, people who have just come home from work to walk in, like, halfway through the episode or mm. something. And then they wait until 8.30 when they broadcast it for those people who, unlike me, don't have Mondays off specifically so they can watch Game of Thrones. Um, but basically, yeah, and then so they play it at 8.30 and then we have um, a, a, a companion show that goes with it, which is called Thrones 360. So uh, the 360 brand is... networks in the US that's like weird we only have one um, but yeah the 360 brand is something that it's only ever been used for sports so we have like AFL 360 and NRL 360 and cricket 360 and we have all these shows but now we've got Thrones 360 um, so then we play that for an hour and then we play Game of Thrones again um, and then <laughs> so basically and then we have a second channel which is like the same channel two hours later so if you switch to that channel, you can effectively watch, like, without having to stream or download, you can watch it, like, nine times in a day, um, which is kind of what I did. And then I watched it again on Thursday night to make my notes for this, and I've got five pages, so, like, I'm ready to go. So you don't you don't get Veep or Barry after Game of Thrones? No, no, we get we get that on Tuesday night. I we think have, it, like, yeah. It's the best palette, like, you watch Game of Thrones and then you just get a little bit of Veep, it's nice. I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could think about anything except Game of Thrones. Like, that's why we have 360 on straight after it, so we can sit and talk about it. The Ringer over here does a thing called uh, Talk the Thrones, and that's pretty good. There's there's some really good shows going on out there. The um the British one is my favorite. Do you get that in the U.S.? No. It's called Throne Blast. I, I've so never... it's hosted by Sue Perkins. She's wonderful. And um, every week they have like three guests on to talk about it. And usually at least one of them, if not two, is uh, someone who was on the show as an actor and has been killed off. So last week they had um, Natalia Tanner, who plays Osha, and they had uh, the actor whose name I cannot recall, who played uh, Randall Tarly. Oh. Um, and then they they had um, they had a comedian on the panel as well, so they had Dara O'Brien, and they just talk about what's going on in the episode, and it's good fun. It's but we don't get that until like the Tuesday night because I don't know Britain is in another time dimension altogether. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun, um, <laughs> but not not anywhere near as fun as the episode. And exactly, we're doing we're doing top five moments, and we're gonna we're trying to do it for each episode, right? Yes, we're gonna. We've I've blocked out time. Like we only need to do this for another four weeks, and then you'll be here. So I'll be in person. You will be here. You'll be in the room I'm in right now. This will be where we record episode six. Wow, I can't wait. Um. So yeah, uh, we'll do. Well, let's just get right into it. Um, because we're 
we're pretty much talking about the episode anyway. Uh, I'll go first. That way it ends with you, ends on a high note. Um, <laughs> here, so this is my number five. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna surprise you. But my number five favorite moment from um, from the season eight episode one. I think it was called Winterfell. Uh, is when Theon Greyjoy. Um, is when he when he uh, saves Yara and then talk has a little bit of a chat with Yara and she's off to an island and he's off to the north to go fight. Um, and the reason that I have it in my list at all because I I don't care about the Greyjoy storyline at all. It's I literally don't give a shit. But the reason it's on my list is because it was literally like three and a half minutes. That was all they did. <laughs> it was, they they Yara was saved in seconds. And it was just so great because, no, like, it's such a stupid storyline that no one cares. And they just, they did it quickly and they got back to the good stuff. And I loved it. I loved that it was just, like, handled and done with. Wow. What do you mean no one cares? You know I care. You know I care deeply for Theon. I, and I just don't know why. He, like, redemption. burned children alive and then betrayed the Starks. And all they did was care for him. <laughs> he deserved to have his I dick cut off and more. He just wanted his dad to love him. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people who have daddy problems, and you don't see them killing children. Looking at Tyrion, looking at Jon, but he had more mommy problems. Looking at Daenerys, looking at everyone. <laughs> I know. I just, I just feel sorry for the guy. Like he was just a bit messed up and did some, made some poor choices, and he's just been suffering for it ever since. And I just want him to have a happy life. I hope he dies within the next two episodes. No, oh, I can't. He's got to be redeemed somehow. He's already he he's John told him he's a Stark, so that's like all he needs. Like, yeah, but you're I a Stark. Want, I want <laughs> You're a great joy. Don't have to choose. <laughs> I wanted the the rescue to be like this massive thing, like, and it wasn't. It was like, well. That was easy because nobody seems to be guarding this ship, even though there's a prisoner on it. The one guard was Rob McElhiney from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, was it? Yeah, he made a cameo. He got shot through the eye immediately and died. I mean, if you're going to make a cameo, that's the way to go. Absolutely. Just like Ed Sheeran doesn't have eyelids anymore, apparently. Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. I was going to say, just, and speaking of cameos, apparently Ed Sheeran's face got burnt off. He got burned by uh, Drogon. Dragon, yeah. <laughs> and that was a cute little, like, one-liner, I think. I think they had a good sense of humor this episode. I agree, and um, I was going to make, I was going to say something about Tyrion, but now I'm forgetting. Um, but yeah, the sense of humor was great, I think. My favorite part was um, when they're like, look out, he's got blue eyes. And Tormund's like, I always had blue eyes. Oh, that might be on my list. Don't spoil it. Okay, no spoilers. Don't get ahead of yourself. But, um, no, the Theon, yeah. So there must be something bigger in store for Theon. Maybe maybe he's the prince who was promised or something. Maybe he's going to sacrifice himself to the Night King. I don't know. He needs to have a big moment because he didn't get it. God save us if Theon is the prince who was promised. That would be so disappointing. (laughs) Well, on that note you made about how Yara is going off to the Iron Islands, I find that a very interesting detail. And to me, that sort of implies that Daenerys is going to abandon ship, <laughs> no pun intended, and she's she and Jon are going to go their separate ways after this battle. Yara's the only one with common sense because they can't go in Basically. water. So she's like, I'll go to an island, and everyone else is like, duh, stay on land. 
I mean, I don't know why they all just don't go to Essos because how would they, how would the White Walkers get there and just let them take over Westeros? But no, apparently they're just going to save Westeros. I think it's because Jon Snow's in charge, to be honest, and he's a bit of a dickhead. Well, it's like the, um, the smart smart characters like, oh, I don't know, Tywin or Littlefinger, they're all dead. So we're just left with the dumbasses who are like, we're just going to not go to an island. Basically. But yeah, the fact that Yara's heading off to prepare the island for the arrival of Daenerys should she need to retreat probably indicates that she's going to need to retreat and she's going to get a she's going to uh yeah, defect from Jon. I go the other way. I think we don't see Yara again ever. I think that's highly unlikely. I think she's gone. I think they're not going to like wrap it up like this. But I also wonder if this this little detail might be an indicator that Euron is going to die because basically what Yara said was Euron can't defend the Iron Islands while he's in King's Landing, so I'll go back and t- I'll go back to the Iron Islands and take them back for our family. And I sort of thought, well, if Euron were to die, what would happen to his army? Would they go back to the Iron Islands? Is that what would happen? And would they either fight Yara or would they side with Yara? So I don't know. Um, but yeah, so that made me wonder if Euron might be going to get it. That and Cersei's behavior, but you know, well, you that's said, a whole other issue. You said before the episode that you thought they were going to do a surprise kill early to like I did. to to, to yeah. like shake right. us up. I thought it was going to be Euron because like he came in like throwing a hundred miles an hour, and I was like, oh, this bitch going to die, and <laughs> and I don't think he makes it much further than the next couple episodes. <laughs> Yeah, I don't see the the overall point of Euron, to be honest. Although I do wonder. Um, I know in the last the, the last episode we did, I talked about how uh, the Maesters have this throwaway line in that scene with Sam, where they say that the, that there's a prophecy that uh, the drowned god will rise up and destroy Aegon the Conqueror. And but in during the month of March, when I was doing my sitting and watching. Yeah, 24-7. Um, I do believe that Euron at one point describes himself as the drowned god to mm. Balon Greyjoy. So maybe Euron is the drowned god and he's going to destroy Aegon the Conqueror, who could be either Daenerys or Jon. Mm. Not sure. Um, but I like to think that Theon is the drowned god because he literally died so many times and he keeps coming back. Well, not literally. Jon died literally and came <laughs> back. Theon figuratively died many, many times and he's still back. Well, speaking of Theon, is he also going to be your number five moment? He's not. He's not even on my list. I'm so shocked that he's on your list because you hate him and I love him. <laughs> well, I just was glad that they did it in two minutes and were like, fuck off. <laughs> no, well, my number five, my number five was the very first thing that happened. And that was we got new titles and oh my god i nearly fell off the couch when this happened your number five moment is just the intro the title sequence (laughs) it was so exciting i get very invested in the titles i follow them religiously like i'm not that person who like skips through them like i i sit and i study like like a mad woman um And I was like, why have they done this? Why, after seven seasons, have they got new titles? And I thought it sort of, basically the only explanation for that I can come to is that we're not going to go an awful lot of places this season. And so they need to slow the titles down a bit and 
investigate what's inside each of the locations rather than be like, here are 10 different places because we have 10 different storylines going simultaneously and you need to understand where everyone is because basically people are only in one of two places now. Um, so at the start of the title sequence, we got uh, Last Half, which I was like, what is this all about? Um, but that showed up right at the end of the episode. So it will probably not be in the next title sequence I'm anticipating. Um, we got a very in-depth look at the, the inner workings of Winterfell. And that felt like there was a lot of attention paid to the crypts. So I like this very much. I feel this is foreshadowing what's going to happen in the upcoming episodes. Um, and we also got a nice in-depth look at what's going on underneath King's Landing, which is basically the only other place that anybody is in this show at the moment. Um, what did you think? Did you like the new titles? I knew they were different, but I'm not really, I'm not smart enough to know why, like what was different about them. <laughs> but I knew they were different. I was, I did pick up on that, but I, um, I didn't realize that it was like what exactly they were doing. Um, but I did hear a lot of people talking about, um, the intricacies of Winterfell that were being shown. Um, so that was pretty cool. I also, I never understand why, um, cause like the, the main actors get like the top billing and then like the supporting actors all get like grouped together, like groups of three actors will be shown. And yeah. I don't know why Isaac Hempstead Wright keeps being grouped in with them. I feel like he's like a major player and he just keeps getting like put in with like the Hound and Varys. And I'm like, I feel like he should get his own thing. <laughs> Maybe that's a sign that Bran is actually not going to be that important. I mean, he hasn't moved yet, so probably not. I yeah, love, but yeah, yeah. But the uh, actress who plays Miss Sunday always gets a top billing, and I'm always like, did she do something else to warrant this position? And as far as I can tell, she didn't. So I'm not quite sure about the the whole. I don't know who decides who 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 sits where in the title sequence. Really, it's all agents. It's like how. Um, Avengers, Avengers Infinity War, it's like all the names are credited, and then it says, like, with Josh Brolin as Thanos and Chris Pratt. It's like, oh, is Chris, is, is, <laughs> Chris, Pratt. Is Chris Pratt, like, our veteran actor now? <laughs> yeah, because in the opening, in the first season, it, it all sort of made a bit more sense. It was, like, Sean Bean and Mark Addy with... Peter Dinklage, and now it's like Peter Dinklage with lots of other people, <laughs> and Ian Glenn right at the end. Yeah, and Ian Glenn. <laughs> He's just yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm sure that there are people out there who are a bit more obsessed with the title sequence than I am that can break it down. I'm sure there's a Reddit thread going on somewhere which can explain exactly what's going on in the bands. So I know in the beginning, the first seven seasons, it was like the story of Robert's Rebellion and all that. Yeah. And this time around, we've got all these different like little pictures going on in the bands. And the only one I can sort of work out distinctively is the first one, which is like Ned Stark having his head chopped off. So basically, I think the title sequence now is just relaying what's happened, the major turning points of the last seven seasons. Um, and I'm sure someone out there has done a lovely article about that. But don't come to me for that, because that's... That's not what we're here for. <laughs> well, speaking of Ned Stark getting his head chopped off, um, my number four moment is pretty crucial. Um, it's been my favorite moment of season six. It's been my favorite moment of season seven. And now it's my favorite moment. Well, not my favorite moment of season eight, but um, one of them. It's in the top four, apparently, for this first episode. Um, 
it is um, John finally finding out that he is the heir to the Iron Throne, and it takes place right in those crypts, right with the statue of Ned Stark behind him. Um, Sam is the person who had to tell him. Um, it had to come from Sam, um, and because apparently Bran's not a man anymore, so whatever. Um, and yeah, so and John reacted as you would expect him to. But the the interesting little twist on it is that Sam's like ready to do mutiny. He's like, let's like embrace it. Let's like. Let's like let's call it, let's call it what it is. You're not you're the heir, not Daenerys. Let's do this. And the reveal was great. I love that it came between Sam and John in the crypts. Um, and it was just it was great. It was perfect. And I'm really excited to see where it keeps going from here. What do you think John's gonna do? I think he's he gonna keep it a secret. I think he's not gonna say anything. I think somebody else is gonna spill the beans to Daenerys, and. Um, because he's just going to be like, I could get, I could not give less of a shit about this. We need to fight yeah. the bed. And so somebody else is going to tell Daenerys and it's going to be, um, a source of conflict between, Chine- I thought it might not be a source of conflict between the two because, um, John doesn't want to rule. But now that, um, it seems like pretty much unanimously, um, aside from Jorah Mormont, everyone is on team is on team uh the north and not targaryen no one accepted their welcome and i love i love the Tyrion coming in like no guys it's okay it's okay because not only do we have the targaryens here but don't worry don't worry hear me out on this the lannisters are coming and everyone just like booed him it's like so yeah no no one's on board with this and so i think john is gonna put family first do you, who, how many people do you think know about this at this stage? About him being the heir to the Iron Throne? Yeah, because so you're it, saying that you think that someone else is going to tell Daenerys. Who do you think knows? So I think, so, so John knows, Sam knows, Bran knows. I think, yeah. I think Sam, I think that Sam is going to tell Sansa because Sansa is like, suddenly the leader figure of the north and but i think an alternative way it could go is that maybe they don't no one tells daenerys but she might already have her suspicions because of the way the dragons interact with Jon snow and she might already Uh, be thinking in that way like hmm why do they like him so much you know well i was wondering when i watched this episode whether i knew because she says something sort of cryptic to john when they have their reunion which i'm sure you might touch no, on more. No, no, no comment. <laughs> she she says to John, well, she's defending Sansa, which is sort of the funny moment that happens in this scene. Mm-hmm. And I says that Sansa is defending her family, and John says, I'm her family too. And Aya sort of pauses for a second, and she says, don't forget that, as if she knows that 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 he's actually Aegon Targaryen and she just wants to remind him for when later when he finds out. So, but I don't know, maybe maybe it's just a thing for her to say, but I just wondered if she might have known. Maybe her and Bran have been chatting. Yeah, I feel like Bran chats to a lot of people off screen that we don't know about and, like, how, that's how we got that little finger execution in Season 7. Like, clearly they're talking to each other. Like, hey, Bran, did you cut your nails today? He's like, I don't have nails. <laughs> I haven't had you... nails since I was a boy. <laughs> did you also spend this episode wondering what on earth happened to Gilly? I mean, I know nobody cares about Gilly, but, like, 
Gilly Sam got- did an awful lot of stuff, and Gilly was nowhere. Like, he's a pretty absentee father at this point. Sam wrote her out of history. She's she she's so she's one she's one of the three headed people who figured this out about Jon Snow, and she doesn't even get credit. Oh, that's true. Gilly knows. Maybe Gilly will tell Daenerys. <laughs> Gilly's like, oh hey, did you know that um, Jon Snow he's a Targaryen? And she's like, pardon. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not married yet. I think, ooh, what if Daenerys finds out and then she's like goes to like incinerate Jon, but the dragon won't do it because he likes Jon now. Well, maybe the dragon goes to incinerate Jon and Jon doesn't die because he's a Targaryen. Wait, is that how that works? Well, Daenerys is fireproof. Jon is not fireproof, but that just may be like a plot hole going on. Maybe he's fireproof now. We need to see. Because in, oh, sorry. No, in the in season one, he does actually get burnt so i but if he's a type maybe he's like half five so maybe he can get burnt but he won't die i don't know like maybe he can take barrack's sword but he can't take a dragon maybe or maybe he can take a dragon and he can't take barrack's sword maybe or like normal fire because so in the first season like um what happened was the the Night's Watch found two dead bodies beyond the wall and they brought them back to Castle Black. And, uh, of course, as dead bodies do beyond the wall, they came back to life and they attacked John, and John threw some fire at them and killed them. I mean, if you can kill a dead body, I don't know. What is dead may never die. Um, <laughs> but his hand got burnt in the process, and I, I don't know if they make a big deal about it in the show. I don't think they do. But in the books, it's sort of a it, – because it's, you know, you've got that focalization and, and the, the close narration going on of the character, he sort of talks a lot about how his hand is sore and he can't use his sword because he gets the sword given to him as a reward for saving Jor Mormont's uh, life in that instance and he gets the sword and he can't hold it because his hand is burnt mm. but yeah maybe he's resistant to dragon fire i don't know um but i also want to know your opinion on something mm. and this is like a pretty philosophical thing so maybe we, we won't we won't go too deep into this but i just sort of find it interesting as a viewer um sam starts banging on about how john is the rightful king and i find this 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 idea, this notion of what's, what a rightful ruler is really interesting. So basically Sam's position is that, well, you're the son of Rhaegar Targaryen and he was a king a few generations ago, therefore you're the rightful king. But I sort of disagree with Sam because, you know, the Robert Baratheon came along and deposed of the Targaryen regime and Robert Baratheon came the king. So why should that mean that John is now the rightful king? Well, are there any Baratheons left? Gendry. So would you say that Gendry has a better claim than John? Yeah, I do. I think that I don't know, I just I don't I think that that George R. R. Martin is making a bit of a commentary on this about how we have ideas of what's right and wrong and about, you know, oh, because it happened in the old days or it was a thing once, therefore we should respect it. It's this whole sort of, I mean, it's not the same, but I sort of see it the same, uh, similar to, you know, when people say, like, respect your elders? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, 
but but why should you respect them just because they're old? Mm. Like you should respect people because they deserve respect and not because they're old. And I just I don't know. I find this idea that John is the rightful king a bit weird. Like you know how many kings there have been since John should have been the king? Like we've had Robert, we've had Joffrey, we've had Tommen. Now we have Cersei as the queen. So yeah, I don't know. Well, if... I'm not saying John shouldn't be king or he wouldn't be a good king. I'm just sort of saying I don't know. I don't agree with him being the rightful king. By that logic, shouldn't Jamie be the rightful heir if Cersei were to die? Yes, and I read recently that um, in the original plan that George R. R. Martin had for this series, that Jamie was going to be the king after their children died. Mm. So that that's got me wondering whether Jamie will be the king at some point. I mean, we've only got five episodes to go. Yeah. I mean, we could have a couple of kings in between then and now. Well, do, do any of those characters, um, do they are they involved at all with your number four favorite moment? My number four favorite moment? Yes, it does involve some of those characters. In fact, it involves the current queen. Oh, boy. That was a good transition. You did that really well. That's what I do. I'm just a host, you know? You bring I know. You, you bring the goods <laughs> and I just keep it on track. I mean, that's good because I couldn't do your job. Um, <laughs> I can't even do it that way. My, fav- my number four moment. It was one of those moments when, when I saw it the first time, I cringed and was like, I don't like that. That's the writers just trying to do things that they shouldn't be doing and I was really annoyed with it but Mm -hmm. then as I said I did watch it eight times in a single day so (laughs) the more I watched it the more it grew on me I mean you are talking to a person who has a quote tattooed on their body that they hated as a child so like I grow I grow uh, things grow on me very well very strongly (laughs) so it was my number four is a line that was spoken by her royal highness Cersei Lannister. Mm-hmm. She says, while she's after her and her and Euron have, have done the deed, she's sort of sitting there a bit pensively by herself off in the corner where Euron can't hear her and she's drinking her wine and muttering to herself and she says, I wanted those elephants. <laughs> and the first time I heard it, I laughed. And I, yeah, like I said, I was like, why are the writers doing this? When did this turn into a comedy show? Why are we getting these silly lines all over the place? Like the blue eyes, which came later. But the more I watched it, the more this sort of spoke a lot to what Cersei's going through in this moment. Like she's completely alone. The fact that Euron can't hear her and she's talking, she's basically talking to herself so it's sort of something we never get from Cersei, which is whatever's going on inside her head. And we never see that because she's always playing the game and she has to play the game and she has to pretend all the time. So we never see her true self come out. And I feel like this is one of those moments where it totally does. And it and it speaks to how unhappy she is and how everything has just gone wrong. Everything she thought she was going to get, she hasn't got. And she's miserable. The only man she's ever loved has abandoned her. And she's just, you know, to put a band-aid over that, slept with this man who she doesn't particularly care for, who, you know, <laughs> who does that classic that classic masculine thing where he goes, you know, I've given you justice, an army, and the Iron Fleet. 
and I'm a little bit sad, so you should sleep with me to make me feel better. And she does. And I know Kelsey was not impressed with this. We had a discussion about it. (laughs) But I just sort of thought it was so sad to see Cersei in this position. Like, and then she sort of gets to that point where she goes, now I want to be alone. She doesn't say, well, I'm the queen, so get the hell out. She sort of really, she seems quite small in this moment. And she's just like, you know, now I want to be alone. And he gives he gives her that really creepy line where he goes, "Now I'm go- I'm going to put a prince in your belly," and then he walks out the room, right. and she she starts crying, and we never see Cersei cry. The only time I can even remember Cersei crying is after she did her work, walk of shame, mm. and it's just such a vulnerable moment. And you know, you hate her, but you do feel sorry for her. Well, I do anyway. Well, you said it. I really have nothing to add. You said it perfectly. Um, and but I will say, um, you say that she's completely alone. But I would I would think that Kyburn and um, Gregor Clegane take offense to that. <laughs> True, Kyburn, uh, uh, Victor Frankenstein. Uh, he he. <laughs> yes, he, they have a creepy relationship. I don't quite understand it, but I mean, he, she, she's sort of just like his enabler. Yeah, and I think that's how they see it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Should we talk about Kyburn for just a second, or is he going to pop up later on your list? He's not even anywhere close to my list. Okay, cool. So I just wanted to quickly, what did you think of this faux tension that's going on where Kyburn, creepy Kyburn, shows up in Bronn's bedroom and is all like, hey, here's a crossbow. The Queen wants you to go kill Tyrion and Jamie." Like, does anybody watching the show really believe that that, Tyr- that Bronn is going to kill Tyrion and Jaime. I mean, we know Bronn's a sellsword, right? We've had that thrown, shoved down our throats for seven seasons now. But we also have spent seven seasons knowing that Bronn has a heart of gold underneath all of that. And, I mean, he might literally have a heart of gold if the Lannisters pay their debts. But, <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I, I mean, you you did mention to me earlier that you just thought it was a, you know, a plot that will ask to get him to Winterfell, and that's probably very true. But, like... Does anybody really think that Bronn's gonna do this? No, he's not. He's just. Uh, I maybe maybe it's even a way of uh, putting the the wheels in motion. The wheels in motion for the Valonqar prophecy. That's very true. That's very true. I have thoughts about this prophecy. I think about it nonstop. <laughs> but the only really quick thing I want to add right now, because I want it, I want it on record that I thought of it, is this idea that. The, the prophecy says that, that the Valonqar will wrap his hands around your pale white throat and it's hands, plural. And I'd like to point out to everyone who believes that Jamie is going to kill Cersei that Jamie only has one hand. So, just wanted to throw that out there. Oh, and Tyrion also has a track record of strangling people. And he happens to... His job title is Hand. <gasps> oh my god! No. You know you know how Tyrion strangled Shay with her necklace? Yes. Every time I see Sansa walking around with that massive necklace she's got going on, I worry for her. Oh. Because, like, necklace means you're going to get it. Tyrion's, Tyrion's, you know, he's got beef with these women. And Tyrion and Sansa are still legally married, so... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Tyrion's going to strangle Sansa. And Thirsty and everyone. Maybe Tyrion will just rule the world. He'll just strangle everybody first. Rewatching the uh, 
the season seven finale before the premiere. How great is that scene between Cersei and Tyrion? I love that scene. Oh, every scene that involves Cersei and Tyrion is my favorite. And this is this is my point about how I feel like after season four, Tyrion just got really boring because I didn't really care for his relationship with Daenerys. I mean, that's fine. That's nice. They get along. That's all good. You know, every now and then they disagree and shit happens. But, like, it's nothing dramatically compared to the scenes that he has with Cersei. They just make the show. Is Tyrion going to get his redemption ever? Like, is he going to ever make a correct decision ever again? Well, I don't know. That's interesting that you think he needs to be redeemed for that, though. He's, like, over his last 30. True. Like, he's supposed to be, like... He's supposed to be, like, one of the smartest. Like, he says, I drink and I know things, but he doesn't really seem to know anything. Mm, you're very... Yeah. Yeah, so maybe he's the one who's going to work out how to destroy the Night King. I really hope so. I, he well, he's to... definitely going to destroy Cersei. He's going to be the one who comes up with that plan, I think. I really hope he does something besides just, like, say things and be wrong about them. <laughs> maybe that's another reason why he's gotten a bit boring lately. <laughs> like... He just, is in the beginning, when he was with the Lannisters, he was always right. And it was everybody else that was wrong. It was Cersei and Joffrey and Tywin. And now he's with Daenerys and co. It's sort of like, he, he's always wrong. Well, as more of an uplifting moment, um, my number my number three, uh, it's got, it's, it is literally, like, for this one moment, no strings attached. It's just a pure, inspiring... This is something we've waited all these years to see, and it's so incredible to see it. Like, the dragons are in the north, and Jon Snow is riding one of them to where he used to hunt, but it really seems like... It, like He's like, oh, I used to hunt here. But it really seems like it's a, a, like really far away. It's like, how long would you walk to go hunting, Jon? Um, but just... <laughs> they have horses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But it's, it's like 500 miles. Uh, but it's just really great to see him on a dragon... Um, at first, I was a little bit concerned. I was like, if this was me, I would legit fall off in seconds. But at a certain point, he ends up, he ends up st- like, steering. Uh, this one is... This one is... Uh, oh, shit. Rhaegar? Rhaegal? This is... Rhaegal. He's riding Rhaegal. Um, and yeah, I just... It was just so cool. It was just like... Like, it was kind of like... We kind of knew it was coming. It was kind of fan servicey, but I just loved it. I love Jon Snow, so to see him on a dragon was amazing. I absolutely agree with everything you said, and that's why it might be a bit higher on my list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't even, you don't even like, like him. I might save them. You hate Jon Snow. All right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll come. I know, I hate Jon. <laughs> what is going on? You, ha- you hate Theon, and you have Theon on your list, and I hate Jon Snow, and I've got Jon Snow on my list. Like, what is going on? Well, we won't, like we, we won't discuss it. Twilight Zone episode. If you have it coming up, we won't talk about it too much. Uh, but who, what do you have at number three? At my number three, I have, well, talk about fan service. <laughs> well, I don't know if it was fan service. It was just service to me, I think. Just me. I'm the only fan out here because, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm female that I'm all on the, on the, on the romance bandwagon. Mm. But oh, I the know. reunion I know this of Gendry. Yep. And Arya yes. was the greatest thing. Oh, my God. It was so satisfying. I think this is, like, this is akin to the fact that 
that Brianna Toth is the only woman on this show that's in the middle of a love triangle. This is, this is its equivalent, you know, because these are the two female characters who want nothing to do with romance, and yet here they are in the middle of the only romances we see in this Game of Thrones. You know, we have arranged marriages and stuff, but this is pure, pure sweet love. And it's, and not, even, it's not incest. It's not incest. Yes, it's the best. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Gendry is a Baratheon and Arya is a Stark. And no, they don't share any blood. Isn't that wonderful? It's so refreshing. And wouldn't it be good, like, if Gendry, like, became the quote-unquote rightful king and he just took the throne and Arya was the queen, even though she never wanted to be a lady? Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I, I'm, think, it, I'm not giving up on my Arya on the throne prediction yet. No, I don't think you should either. It's very... I don't know. I have no idea who's going to end up on the throne. The more I watch and the more I read, the more confused I get, really. But, oh, gosh. I loved the the dialogue in this scene. The flirting? Mm. Like, what? They're flirting. Aya is flirting. Aya is smiling. Like, Gendry is giving it the full princess bride treatment and being all like, as you wish, milady. You don't know any um, other rich girls. Yes, that's the other quote I have on my notes. You don't know any other rich girls. I love that line. I was just, oh, I was grinning. I was like, oh, look at me now. I wish that we were recording this on film. My face is like bright red. I'm so happy for Aya. I just want her to be happy. I want her to have this relationship with Gendry. Please don't kill Gendry. Hello to Gamish Friends producers out there. Please don't kill Gendry. Aya needs Gendry. You know, back in season three, she has that little cry, which is one of the few times we see her cry, where she's all like to Gendry, you could be my family. And then she runs away. And they're finally back together. They're back together. I have a theory about Gendry's death. Um, No! No! So if we we don't get Clegane Bowl, if if that's, like, not going to happen, then I would... I can, I can see, like, I'm seeing this, like, whole thing developing right now, where they're going to be fighting the Battle of Winterfell, whatever it's going to be called, and Gendry's going to be on, like, he's going to be knocking on Death's door, and he's going to be rescued and sacrificed, he's, the, the Hound is going to sacrifice himself to rescue Gendry for Arya. Oh, oh my god! That's my prediction. Uh, wow. I'm speechless. Do you know how what that would do to me if I saw that on screen? I would weep. Um, you know, is the Hound on your coming up on your list at any point? The Hound is not on my list, but I did love okay. his. I did love his moment with Arya. Well, see, I, I mean, I agree that it was in character, but a part of me just wanted them to hug. Like a part of me just wanted. You know how everybody's laying down their arms and we're not fighting anymore, Lannisters, Starks, Targaryens? Like, could we not just have a moment where he just em- they embrace each other and I was like, thank you for taking care of me all those years. Well, she did She did leave him for dead. Uh, yeah, true, but she didn't <laughs> kill him because she couldn't kill him. Even though he was on her list, she loved him. Yeah. And, you know, when he goes to Bravos and she's in the House of Black and White and she plays the game of faces with the waif... Like, that comes up a lot when uh, the wave has the cane and, and 
and is always asking her about the hound, like, tell me about the hound. And she's like, I wanted him dead. And she keeps whacking her with the cane. I hated him. And she whacks him with the cane. And she she keeps saying, I hated him. I hated him. But no, she loves him. The hound literally saved her from God knows what. And he saved Sansa as well so many times. Like, he's a good dude, even though he's done some terrible things. Like killing the butcher's boy? Like killing the butcher's boy. I mean, I remember reading the first book and being like, oh my god, this is the. He's worse than Joffrey, this guy. But then, you know, all of a sudden he shows up and it's like this this beautiful thing where he's. He sort of feels responsible for her. I mean, yeah, he hides it behind, oh, I'm going to get paid lots of money when I return you to your family. But, you know, he's he's going to do anything to protect her. Sort of like Brienne. And this is why Brienne is, like, in a love square at the moment. Because, you know, it's not only Jamie and Tormund. But I feel like her and the Hound would be pretty well matched. They'd have tall babies. They would. They'd be great. That, that would be really painful labor, I feel. That would not be fun. But um, you br- just briefly, you touched on Clegane Ball right there. I wanted to, while we brought it up, I wanted to share my little my little theory about Clegane Ball that I told you about the other week. Mm, go for it. So my my prediction is Clegane Ball will happen only because everybody hypes it. And I don't think the producers would, would go, oh, yeah, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Because I feel like everyone would be so mad if it didn't happen. So, yeah, I do think it will happen. And I think that the mountain will kill the hound. Because the mountain is clearly significantly stronger than the hound. And that's both of their strengths. That their Strength is their strength. Physical strength. Physical uh, brute force. And the hound is really no match for the mountain. But then I think that once that happens... Aya is going to avenge the death of yes. her dear best friend, the Hound. Because we've seen, we've seen time and time again that the Mountain, yeah, he's good at, like, running in like a, you know, a bulldozer and squashing things and knocking them over and killing them. But he doesn't deal well with short, small, nimble people who are, you know, she's a water dancer, Aya. <laughs> Remember all those scenes where where were, she and the hound were out in the middle of nowhere, and she was, you know, playing with needle, and the hound would be like, had be teasing her about her water dancing. Um, and we've seen, you know, in season four, the mountain gets cut down by Oberyn Martell, who was who was significantly smaller, and he's faster, he's more agile, and he cuts him down. And then back in season one, even we see a similar thing. So there's the the um the tawny for the hand of the king for ned stark when he gets i don't know anointed as the uh the new hand of the king and it comes down to a battle between the mountain and loris tyrell and they're jousting and they're using the same weapons and they're on horses and the mountain is like 25 times bigger than loris tyrell but loris tyrell still beats him So, you know, the hound, the mountain is not good at dealing with little people. So I think it's definitely true that I, th- I think it's definitely I is going to kill the mountain to That's, avenge the hound. If I could but be- I do like your idea that the hound will sacrifice himself for Gendry. If I could bet money on any one person killing any other person, it wouldn't be Jamie killing Cersei. I would literally bet it on Arya killing the mountain. I believe that for a very long time. 
Well, then how? Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> let let it happen. Maybe Aya is going to use her new weapon, whatever the hell that thing is. Do you have theories about this weapon? Because <laughs> I don't. I don't understand what it is. No, I don't. A lot of people, like, people are talking about, like, Valerian Steel and who owns which Mormon sword and all these things. And I'm like, I don't know any of the weapons. I really don't. Yeah, on, um, on, I think it was on Thrones 360 this week, someone, someone made the observation that, that this entire episode just sort of seemed like an inventory of weapons, like everybody just kept naming what weapons they owned, so that everybody knew who owned what. And sheep. Um, 18 sheep. And sheep. 11 goats. And, and the goats. Um, but I don't know, like, it's this thing with a concealed piece of dragon glass, and I don't know why she would need to conceal dragon glass. It's not like White Walkers are going to be taken by surprise when she's attacking them. So I don't know, I sort of thought maybe it was something for Sansa, like, she could give it to Sansa because Sansa's not a fighter, and, um, she could, like, pull it out at the least expected time, and I don't know, I, I, I... I'm sure there's better theories out there than the ones I can come up with, because I can't come up with any. Well, I have three things about that. A, I've only just put it together that um, Littlefinger um, basically tried to frame Tyrion with the sword that was attempted to kill Bran back, way back when. Um, uh, B, uh, how great is it going to be to finally see Arya in like a battle? And, <laughs> and C... Um, I've only just started to come to terms with the fact that this upcoming battle episode is going to kill a lot of people, and I don't know if I'm ready for it because I don't know if like because like I'm I'm thinking like Jorah is going to die and and Grey Worm is probably going to die, and I wouldn't be even that surprised maybe if they kill a Stark, and uh, I feel like Brienne might die, and I'm just really not ready for any of it. No, you cannot kill Brienne. I will stop watching the show if they kill Brienne. I know she's dead in the books, but if she dies on the show. I'm not going to cope. And Tormund. You keep favorite character. <laughs> Tormund keeps escaping death, so he's due. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, well, well, that's uh, that was quite the tangent, but for my number two moment, I'm going to bring it back to two characters we haven't really talked about in a little bit. Um, my number two favorite moment, um, it really, it, it brought the whole episode of, like, we, oh, we're, we're going to pay homage to the pilot to the conclusion of... Jamie taking off that hood, revealing that beard, taking a look around and being like, oh fuck, dare that boy, I kicked out the window. <laughs> and he's just, Bran is giving him the biggest, Bran's like, oh, I'm, I'm not Bran anymore, I'm the three-eyed raven. And, but then like, he's like, I, I, I don't feel the emotions of a man, and yet he still has the ability to just be like, hey, it's that bitch who pushed me out the window, hey, fuck you, bitch. I've been waiting for you, my old friend. It's like he's like, oh, I'm not human anymore, and yet he still has contempt for Jamie Lannister. At least that's what I read into his look. I'm sure he's got bigger fish to fry because he can see literally anything that's ever happened. I'm sure he doesn't really care about Jamie anymore. But I think I thought it was just cool how he was just chilling just to give him that look and give him a little bit of fear. Yeah, that is very interesting because Brad doesn't seem to have any emotions like ever. So I wonder how, like, what he's feeling in this moment. I mean, we have that great sort of setup that happens a couple of scenes earlier, where where Sam uh, Brand tells um, Sam that he's waiting for an old friend. Yeah. Like 
middle of the night. And I sort of think that this is interesting because does this mean that, like, Bran can't actually see everything? Like, he can only see decisions that people make? I mean, when Arya shows up, he says, the first thing he says to Arya is, I thought you were going to King's Landing. So it's like he didn't see her change her mind and come up to Winterfell. So I don't know. Well, yeah, like, he, he needed Sam to tell him about Rhaegar and Lyanna getting married before he could actually see it, right? Yes, exactly, because um, it's sort of like, I think the way that they've described it is it's like, well, yeah, you've got the internet and you can literally look up anything you want at any time, but you have to know what you're looking for to find it. So, like, he doesn't have every single thing ever happening, going on in his head at any one time. He could just sort of access it. He's basically just like Google. Right. But for everything that's ever happened. Um, and I did really like that line that he said to Sam, even though it means sad, where he goes, where where he he tells Sam that he's not John's brother. And I sort of thought that the first time I heard it, I thought that meant he was saying that, oh, because I'm the three-eyed raven, I can't be anything. I am the three-eyed raven. But actually, he means like literally I'm not his brother. And I like that he said that to Sam because Sam sort of is his brother. Mm. They were brothers at the Night's Watch and that was beautiful. I think Bran, I really hated Bran for a long time, but he's coming around for me. Really? Why? What, just, are you, what are you attaching yourself to? I think it's just like, I don't know, like, I think I think maybe he's just, like, he's being more well-written than he was, I think. And, like, yeah, it's kind of like, all right, chill, like, you're, you're a Stark, you can relax a little bit. But, like, I still, I just think he's being better written, and I don't know, I think it's, I like just the role. I like seeing him with the Starks again. I think, and it's just really, I'm, 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 I'm digging it. Even though he's like completely detached from everything that's going on. Yeah, it's just like he's just like chilling in the, the, the courtyard, and I, I don't know. I just I liked the scene with him and Jamie a lot, and it brought me back, you know, the old days. I sort of wish it could have taken place in the tower, but then, like, how would Bran have got up to that tower without Hodor? True. Well, yeah. <laughs> Just, like, casually walking up to the tower and finding Bran sitting there. He's like, I've been waiting for you for seven years. <laughs> uh, back. Do you think, like, is he gonna... I think I asked this question just before, but, like, what do you think Bran's gonna do? I think to Jamie. Well, yeah, like, I mean, in general, about the fact that Jamie's there, is he going to turn around and tell everyone, well, I assume he will tell everybody that Jamie pushed him out the window, but I mean, emotionally, like, is he going to be like, we should chop this man's head off because... No, he's going to, he's going to be, him and Tyrion are going to mount the defense for Jamie in favor of Jamie. Yeah. Because he's going to be like, this is, he's a, he's a changed man. You know what I think is really, um, it's well plotted in all of this, is that this episode we got the strangely contrived nonsense of Sam being sad that Daenerys had executed his father, even though he hated his father, and Sam did that weird thing where he cried, and I was like, why? But um, I think the whole reason why we needed to have that is because the trailer for next episode, we start with basically Jamie coming before the court and being told to to pay for all his crimes and Daenerys saying 
you murdered my father. And I feel like we're going to have Sam pipe up and be like, well, you murdered my father, bitch. Yeah. Like, how about we just put all this shit behind us? Because clearly everybody in this room seems to have murdered somebody's family member. It's just like... And that's the only way we're going to move forward. Definitely. No, he's... Jamie's a key... He's like the key figure, I think, going forward. Um, oh, yeah. But who do you, what do you have as your number two moment? My number two, let's go back to your previous, ah, your previous. Here we go. Here we go. We're at the dragon ride. Oh, my God. I sort of felt like up until this point, the, the, the episode, like it wasn't bad, but it was sort of just on a monotone, like singular level. Like we're just going along. Okay, we're going along. And then, and then we, we walk out to this field and John's just like, I don't know how to ride a dragon. And you have all that humor and it's so beautiful. And, and he's just like, what do I hold on to? And Daenerys is like, whatever you can, I don't care. Bye. (laughs) And off she goes. And so we've got the humor and then, oh my goodness, the music, the music took me to an emotional place i don't know but basically i look forward to whoever requires the rights to build the game of thrones theme park i cannot wait for this ride to be built Mm. it was like flight of passage on steroids this ride it it was uh, i I was i was all in i was off and it was like i sort of feel like this scene was like what harry potter writing buckbeak should have been like or what, like, you know, what what Jack Dawson's I'm the king of the world line should have been like, this is how it should have felt with this music that just takes you and you saw. And, yeah, this, the, this was the moment the episode really took off for me. Huh. Pun intended. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, tell me, tell me, give me your thoughts. Let's go. Well, for one, if it's not going to be Disney that acquires the rights to the Game of Thrones land, it's going to it's it's only it's going to be Universal. Disney would never even think about that. Um, but uh, but yeah, John riding the dragon is just it was just a uh, just a really beautiful moment, and it was like one of those things like like I feel like I feel like a lot of people like kind of were like oh that was cool, and then they just moved on, and it's like think about how absurd that would have been to think about like even like even two years ago the idea that John would ride a dragon, and now it's like. Yeah. Like even like think about like the big how how every character started at the show. There was like no way John was gonna ride a dragon. This was, and but now here it's just and it feels earned too. Like it's just I don't know. It was really great. I love. It was just like one of my favorite images from the show. It's just one of those moments that you know when you think back on epic moments from the show. This is one you'll think about that moment that John rode a dragon. Absolutely. And you don't have to like John to enjoy that moment, I think. It's the song of Ice and Fire. It is. It was oh gee, it was it was like I'm not a huge fan of all the high fantasy aspects of this. Like I'm the political drama is where it's at for me. Like that's where I get my kicks. But that was just the most magical thing that I think I've ever seen on screen. Like ever. It was just so good. It's, I uh, was like almost in tears. It's it, it it's the only thing that could have made me okay with the CGI budget for the episode not going to Ghost. <laughs> have you seen that meme? Maybe you sent it to me. I can't remember. So many people send me Game of Thrones memes. Um, it was like 
where what's happened to Ghost, and then it's just like a picture of Daenerys in that white coat. Oh no! <laughs> Her white coat that is clearly not warm enough. <laughs> No, because she has to show up her lovely neckline. Well. You have to get that out. But um, I loved, and then it wasn't just that. Like, it was everything that happened after. So they land in the in the middle of this nowhere. And there's this beautiful waterfall. Um, and then there's this really interesting line that Danny says that makes me, I don't know, I just, I thought thoughts when I heard it. She said, we could stay a thousand years, no one would find us. Mm. Like, were the White Walkers not hidden for a thousand years and no one found them? And I sort of thought, maybe this is the foreshadowing that, well, I originally thought that John was going to be the new Night King. But my mom actually yesterday said something really interesting to me, and I want to put it out there because I think it's, like, genius. My mom was like, you know... If Daenerys died, like hypothetically somebody killed her, she would would she not have to become a white? Because how could they burn her? Like would she if she was dead, would they be able to burn her body or would her body not burn? I silence. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't really I guess she wouldn't burn, it would be my theory. Yeah, so does that mean that Maybe she's going to be, like, the Night Queen. I don't know. But, yeah, and then, so John in reply says, you know, we'd be pretty old. And I was like, yeah, the Night King is pretty old, and you're going to be the new Night King, John. Um, so yeah. there was that. That was really quick. And then John gets his flirt on. I don't know. He got some tips from Aya. Oh, no, this is just before Aya. It's something in the Stark Water this week that they're all getting flirty, and it's all like, oh, it's a bit cold up here. I mean, and it's really, I love how lame it is, how, <laughs> like, oh, it's a bit cold. And she's like, oh, well, you should keep your queen warm. Um, and then the dragon, the dragon's giving John the stink eye. And it was my favorite thing. Like, I'm not a huge fan of, like, that stupid tropey, like, I don't know, brothers getting, getting protective of their sisters or fathers getting protective of their daughters. But I'm all for dragons being protective of mm. their mother. Yeah, of course. It was glorious. It was... It's great, and uh, maybe consider the children of the forest, if it ends up being Danny, they'll be like the, the, the imps of the King's Landing. The imps of King's Landing? <laughs> they'll be the ones who turn her. <laughs> Do you really think that, that Tyrion is going to plunge a piece of dragon glass into her heart? Hey... If if his brother's the Kingslayer, maybe he has to, he has to be the Queenslayer. Maybe, and he has two good hands, so yeah, it's possible. Well, you just alluded to it um, when you said that Arya might have given him some tips. So I'm going to tell you my number one favorite moment from the episode: John and Arya reuniting after 65 episodes, eight <laughs> years apart. They have gone through so much, literally. So much. They've been on other ends of the world. And they're together again. They're happy. They're hugging. They're smiling. They're crying. They've been through so much. So They've missed so much of each other's lives. But Needle is still there. Her connection to John. And John, I mean, it's not really so much um, in the book, in the, in the show. Um, because um, 
Like, he, he just thinks, I think for a lot of it, he just thinks Arya's dead. And, um, but I've been reading the books now. I'm still in the first one, and I'm really not that far into it. But he, for, since he's been at the wall in the books, all he does is talk about how much he misses Arya. And so it's just to see them together again, I mean, that was the reunion I was looking forward to the most. I mean, obviously Arya and everyone was great. Um, Tyrion and Sansa was awesome. Um, uh, Jamie and Bran was good and but now um the one that i was hoping for the most and it lived up to my expectations i'm glad they just let them be happy to see each other because they were best friends and their family and it was great i loved it 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 it, it was just truly satisfying it was beautiful and i did love the you know the little humor that was going on in that there's so much humor in this episode but you know when john asks her if she's ever used needle and she sort of goes yeah, once or twice. <laughs> what do you think John would think if he knew what Arya had been up to all these years? I mean, he'd probably be like, they'd probably just start swapping stories. He'd be like, yeah, well, guess what I did? And then go back and forth. All the people I killed. Like, there was like this girl, Egret. You never even met her. <laughs> My God, so much has happened in their lives. I feel like, though... The only thing I will say that that detracted from the reunion for me, and it doesn't detract, it's more just to do with my emotional investment, is the fact that they haven't seen each other since episode two. Mm-hmm. It, you don't forget that, and you forget how close they were, and I think you get it a lot more in the books. You get, you know, yeah, John is at the wall, and he's like, I miss my sister so much. Like, I just wish I could be there and give her a hug. But in the show, you sort of don't get that because the characters sort of don't sit around and talk about things like their feelings ever. Um, so sort of like, oh, okay. Whereas, so for me, I, I like I found the reunion with Gendry like really satisfying because there was that banter of that was exactly the same banter that we had for like two and a half seasons going way back. Whereas the the reunion between I and John, like it was beautiful, but. I was like, oh, we don't have much to draw from here other than, you know, that beautiful scene in in episode two where he gives her a noodle and she nearly stabs him trying to give him a hug to thank him. Well, it's a, it was a beautiful moment. Um, Definitely, definitely my favorite. As soon as it happened, I knew it was going to be my favorite. Um, But Jack, Jack, Jack Rayner, what is your number one moment? My number one moment was not on your list. Oh, no. I don't think it's going to be on a lot of people's lists. But to me, okay, so when I think about top moments, I'm thinking about things that are going to stay with me forever. Like, when I think about Game of Thrones, what am I going to think about? And this is by far the thing I'm going to think about. It is my number one is the screaming demon child. (laughs) I almost put it on my list. (laughs) It was so good. Like, uh, I don't think I've ever screamed watching a television show before, but that absolutely scared the hell out of me. Like, and it was just, it was so well put together because so you sort of see him on the wall and the shots framed like so well like it's Tormund's head in the foreground but we can still see Ned Umber sitting up there on the wall very clearly and then the conversation that the characters are having is quite it's not intellectually complex but it's 
cognitively complex. So they're sort of talking about where everybody is spatially. So like for me, when I was watching it, I was sitting there in my mind and I was like trying to picture where everybody was in space and time and being like, okay, that person's there and that person's there. And, there. and the camera keeps swapping backwards and forwards in shot between Tormund and um, Ed. And I don't think Beric quite gets a look in here, but it sort of just goes backwards and forwards a bit. So you sort of like totally put off by this and in your head you're trying to like imagine what everybody, trying to envision in your head what everybody's talking about and then you sort of see the kid's eyes open in the back and you're like oh I've got to keep watching those eyes but at the same time I'm still trying to think about what they're saying and trying to figure out where everybody is and then I don't know what it was but like because I saw his eyes open but I did not expect him to scream and I did not expect him to scream like that and oh lord almighty that's scared the absolute life out of me and it, he screamed and I screamed and I jumped and oh god it was a lot I nearly wet myself so, so it's, but it it's my favorite thing that happened in this whole episode it was so good I didn't even realize he was up to something until like Kelsey Kelsey was like <gasps> and I was like wait what, what's going on and then like I turned I turned back to see the screaming and uh um, <laughs> but like I was it's obviously like it's gonna go down as an iconic moment I think but Oh yeah. But um what do you, what do you make of the fact that the Night King seems to be interested in communicating with them? It's so strange because this whole idea that they're sending a message well, and because of the fact that he doesn't talk, this is sort of the only way that he communicates. Um you know, I, there's that beautiful line like way back in I think it's season 3 where Mance when when they're going or they go the the fist of the first man Mance and Tormund and John and a couple other people Egret and um and Mance is looking at the, the display that they've made and and Mance sort of goes, Always the artists like <laughs> like it's sort of like amusing to him what's yeah. going on. And but this is interesting that it was the first time that I got the the Targaryen tones of the symbolism and I think because it was on fire. Mm-hmm. Like the whole whole the whole way that, that scene was lit was brilliant. Like, with just the only light going on is Beric's flaming sword. So, like, and in the scene, like, literally just before that, it was so dark, I could not see what was going on. Like, we were in, uh, basically, I had the house set up, like, an underground bunker because I was like, no, we need to we need to pretend it's nighttime because it's 11 o'clock in the morning and we need to be able to see everything on the screen because Game of Thrones is so quite literally dark. Um, like I had all the external roller blinds rolled down and I had all the curtains that closed and everything was pitch black. But during that scene, I couldn't see what was going on until he lit that sword. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't light the sword until we had that beautiful line that you touched on earlier with Ed saying, stay back, he's got blue eyes. And Tormund like, I've always had blue eyes. And that, was my, and that was another thing that really disarmed you about the kid that was screaming because you just had this joke. Yep. And then we're back in the room, and I don't understand. I don't know what. Um, I'm not sure what the Night King is trying to communicate. I mean, one of my friends has a has a theory that the Night King is a Targaryen, and I don't know. I've spent a lot of days just thinking about history and mythology, and like I don't know. It's gone to some strange places where I'm like, maybe in the beginning, there was there was a Stark, and there was a Targaryen, and they bred. <laughs> And then, I don't know, the Targaryens went off to Essos and the Starks stayed in the north. 
and then uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the Night King wants, and this is what frustrates me. Well, hopefully we'll get a little bit more insight into that in the coming weeks. Um, and I can't wait. I can't wait to to talk more about it with you on on Wednesday next week as well. Um, I know. Thank and I'm, yeah. What are you excited for this week? Like thinking about the trailer for a second. Jamie meeting Daenerys for sure. Yeah, I'm excited that Arya is hanging out with a bow again. Like we haven't seen that for a very long time, and like talking about how this 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 um this episode echoed a lot of what happened in the pilot. Um, that was something Arya was big on back in the pilot, shooting a bow and arrow, and we had that random kid climbing the tree who was supposed to be, like, you know, Bran climbing the tree. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited for all of this. I really am. I think we're in have... for a really good season. Oh, yeah. It's going to be... It's going to be massive. And I don't know. I'm, I'm scared. I'm also scared for Sansa because the one other thing I have on my, my enormous five pages of lists is Daenerys saying to... John, if she can't respect me, and then she doesn't end the sentence. I'm like, what are you going to do to her? Are you going to feed her to your dragons? I think that's the implication. That's not going to go well. John's not going to be okay with Daenerys feeding his sister to a dragon. Nope. But no like, I'm all here for the tension. I think, yeah, I think next episode is just going to be about setting up this big battle. What I think so think? too. I think the the last shot of the episode is going to be that hoof stamping down as they stand at, to fight them. Yes, I agree with you. And you've got, I love that shot of Tyrion looking over the, um, the, I was going to say balustrades, that's not right, looking over the edge of Winterfell, and it was, like, so similar to what we saw in the Battle of the Blackwater back in Season 2. I'm so excited for Tyrion to be in charge of a battle. I mean, he's not going to be, but maybe he'll get some power. Well, oh my god, it can't come quick enough. It's got like we got like forty eight hours to go. It's gonna be so great, um, and uh, we'll we're gonna have to do ten more moments on Wednesday because uh, it's gonna be a great episode. But but Jack, um, for the first of these six installments, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for having me. Thank you for indulging this random idea I had. Absolutely, it's my, absolutely my pleasure.